Uh, today's reading is taken from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large, so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Great. Well, thank you, Cherry. I wonder what you make of this quote. Words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement, words that will help and heal, or destructively using words of despair, words that harm and humiliate. Handle them carefully, for words often have more power than atomic bombs. I wonder how this strikes you. Is it true? Are words really the most powerful force in our world, the more explosive, maybe, than a bomb? Well, perhaps there's some uh, hyperbole in this quote, but doesn't it capture something that's true? Words can create life and love. Words like, will you marry me? But words, of course, can destroy. You can think of World War II, the infamous Nazi general writing to Hitler saying, we have reached the final solution for the Jewish problem. This 10 word sentence led to millions killed. This also, I think, captures something of our own experience. I remember uh, one fellow student in high school commenting on my own shyness. They said, talking to Miles is like talking to a brick wall. It's kind of funny now. I can look back at it. But in the moment, it really stuck with me. It gave me uh, social anxiety for years and years. I wonder what words you have spoken that have left a lasting impact on others 
around you. Words spoken in love can lift others up to higher places than they knew they could go. And words spoken in hate can crush, they can cripple for years and years. The author of our passage this morning, James, is well acquainted with the power of words. And what we'll see in our passage is that God, the giver of words, is supremely concerned with how we use them. In this short letter in James, as we've already seen, it's amazing how much time he spends uh, on the tongue. This gives evidence that this was a huge problem for the Christians in James' day. Remember that the, the Christians here are going through trials of various kinds. They've been persecuted and scattered. And it's often when we go through suffering that our true character comes out. And it often comes out in what we say. James' desire is that these Christians would stop being careless and hypocritical in the way they use their speech and instead labor to keep their tongues under control, to let them glorify God and edify others. And so for us, following Jesus requires watching your tongue. And so we must work vigilantly to control our tongues because as our tongues go, so we go. James isn't just going to give us a command uh, and move on. He also gives us the reasons why, uh, our motivation for doing this. If you have a handout with you, uh, you'll see an outline there, three reasons why we are to watch our tongues. And so we'll start with number one, watch your tongue because it directs your life. with me at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James begins in a bit of an interesting place. Is this warning for teachers, those who teach and preach God's word that they will be judged by God more strictly. And therefore, uh, there should be caution before anyone wants to sign up for the role of teacher. Uh, Why is this the case? Well, he says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, and anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So while he acknowledges that no one's perfect, we all stumble, uh, what is able to keep the body in check? It's our words. It's what we say. And teachers are, of course, those who use their speech uh, the most as part of their role. Teaching and preaching requires lots of words. And the danger is the more words they say, the more words they're accountable for. Not only do they use more words, but their words also carry greater weight. If teachers fall or misinform, they can take so many along with them. And therefore, God will judge teachers more strictly. They, ha- they affect so many around them. But James' point moves beyond teachers to include everyone. His concern is all of us. Uh, verse 2 and 3 says, we all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is a, uh, never at fault in what they say is perfect. The word uh, perfect here that James uses means uh, a wholeness, 
an integrity in uh, a whole life. They say what they do and they do what they say. Uh, This person is not double-minded or inconsistent. James says, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. You'll have wholeness. What does he mean by this? Well, James gives us two really helpful illustrations, as he so often does. Uh, So in verse 3, we read this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So in both cases, there's this relatively small, this seemingly insignificant thing, a bit or a rudder, that end up controlling something massive and weighty. Uh, the weight and strength of a horse, or the weight and the huge size of a ship. In a similar way, our tongues are like that tiny bit or rudder which change the whole direction of life. They steer and direct where we and others go. That's James' conclusion there in verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And the main point is clear. The tongue has extraordinary power to influence and direct lives. This is especially true of our spiritual life. Speech is like the secret of our sanctification. It's the key that unlocks the whole of our Christian lives as we seek to live for God. When we are able to exercise control over the tongue, we can direct our whole lives in the way of God. We can please him in everything. But when that tongue is not restrained, small as it is, the rest of us is likely to be uncontrolled and undisciplined as well. So James says, friend, you want to be mature? You want to grow? Look first to your tongue. Give priority to working on that and much of the rest will follow. Or maybe consider how your words shape and direct others. Your words can shape the course not only of your own life, but of those around you. It's like what the author of Proverbs says in Proverbs verse 15. He says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Have you noticed how one encouragement or one loving rebuke can turn your whole week around, your whole month, your whole year even Maybe you seem to be heading in a slump or a spiritual rut when you receive an email from a friend. Hey, I just want to thank you for your friendship. I thank God that he put you in my life. That can literally lift your spirits out of a pit. It's as Sam Albury says, uh, one pastor and author, uh, just as God spoke his words to create the universe, So he's given us, as his image bearers, the ability to create significant change with the words we speak. So if this is true, let me ask you, how are you currently harnessing this God-given gift of speech? Are your words gentle, life-giving, pleasing to God? Are they, or would they be more accurately described as perverse, harsh, breaking the spirit of another. Maybe think about specific conversations that you've had this past week. 
I wonder what's been your strategy for choosing what words you say or whether uh, they just come out and there's no intention. How are your words being used in the workplace? If someone only knows of Christianity because of you and your presence there, what conclusions do they have about Jesus based on the words you say? How are your words being used in your home? Uh, Many of us will realize the impact that words have on children. How important are our words to them or our spouse or our parents? Especially if you're someone like me who has the responsibility to teach whether publicly, at church, or at a school, at a Sunday club, or just your own children at home. Consider the fruit, both good and bad, that can come from your words. As those who confess and serve the God who speaks, is it possible that we've forgotten how eternally important and significant our speech is? Now, what would it look like for you maybe to make a plan to steward your words more wisely? So while there is certainly a powerful opportunity to uh, sanctify our lives, to give life to others, there is also great potential for destruction. This is where James turns to next. Look at verse 5 with me. Point two, watch your tongue. It can destroy your life. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I wonder how this strikes you. Uh, what, what is the tongue, according to James? It is a fire. It's a world of evil. It corrupts all of us. It sets one's life on fire, is itself set on fire by hell. No one can tame it. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think if we're honest, this description sounds less like our tongues and more like Satan himself. But it's not. This is a description of a part of you, a part of you that you use countless times every day, a part of you that you can't escape. Friends, the tongue is destructive. It naturally tends towards destruction. James says it's like the spark of a fire that burns down a whole forest. Uh, I studied at Azusa Pacific University in Southern California, and the campus is set kind of right at the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains. It's a small mountain range east of uh, Los Angeles, One day as I was walking to class, I feel kind of something uh, burning in my eyes. I look up and there's black ash falling from the sky. I look up at the mountain and the whole mountain range is ablaze. Uh, The whole face of the mountain, just fire everywhere. Uh, Later, when the fire department had gotten it under control, we found out that some students had gone for a night hike the, the night before. They'd gone up into the mountain, decided to smoke, and one cigarette carelessly thrown set the whole mountain ablaze friends our words are like a cigarette they can unleash forces that no one has the power to control 
Have you considered the consequences of your own words? One word of gossip, something negatively spoken about a person behind their back can destroy an entire friendship. Is what Proverbs 16 says. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. One lie can lead to a broken marriage. One sarcastic remark can ruin your Christian witness at work. One angry tangent on social media can ruin someone's reputation forever. The Bible teaches that the tongue, your tongue, has great potential to destroy. And so, we must watch our tongues. The stakes are simply too high to do anything else. Our words are too important to use them carelessly or without thought. We may think that one comment, uh, one word of gossip, one lie, one sarcastic remark made without thought isn't a big deal. Friends, it is. I mean, what do you think is the biggest threat to our unity as a church? It's words. It's gossip. It's a rumor that starts small but rips through a whole community, defames and destructs. I've seen it happen. I'm sure you have as well. We must be vigilant. Put out gossip. Don't let slander slide. In fact, one of uh, the dangers of the tongue should cause us to stop cold in our tracks before we even open our mouths. James said back in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In the world of quick and easy communication, we can all benefit from this wisdom. Be slow to speak. Of course, uh, James is drawing from much wisdom from the book of Proverbs here. Proverbs has much to say about holding one's tongue. Here's some samples of this. For instance, Proverbs 10 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 13, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 29, Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. So the Bible is clear. We can spare ourselves and others much pain by simply recognizing we don't have to verbalize everything we think. We can wait. We can pause, especially in a heated discussion with our spouse, our children, a coworker, maybe on social media or over WhatsApp. Our natural instinct should not be to trust the words that are about to come out of our mouths. Instead, pause, be slow, cool down if you have to. Say a prayer, ask God to help you say what is good instead of evil. And friends, if this is a special struggle for you, ask a close friend to help you, to hold you accountable on what you say or what you post. How much help could a reminder be before you say something you regret? And then pray. Pray for God's help resolved by his grace to not allow even one negative or slanderous word to come out of your mouth. Not only uh, can our tongues be used to destroy others, but James says they can also set our own lives on fire. 
That's what he says in verse 6. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's own life on fire. Similarly, in verse 8, he says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When sin entered our world in the fall through Adam and Eve, it poisoned the rest of creation, all the way down to you and, and to me. And now none of us, not one person, can tame their tongue. All of us, by nature, have turned away from God. We've committed to serving ourselves instead of him. Isn't this so evident by the way we use our words? They have thoroughly corrupted us. And because God is holy and perfectly just and pure, he will hold us responsible for every ungodly thing we say. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 12. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Think about that for a moment. We will give an account for every careless word that we speak. The truth is, left to our own devices, we are condemned for how we've used our words. We all stand guilty before the creator of the world, unable to do anything in our own power to tame our tongue or make ourselves right with him. But the good news of the gospel is that God wonderfully has sent a rescuer. Jesus came to our broken world. He was never at fault in what he said. He achieved perfection. He was able to keep his whole body in check by what he said. He tamed his tongue because he was God himself. Even when others wounded him, hurled insults at him, mocked him, tempted him, he never slandered back, never cursed. Instead, he accepted the scorn and the shame, silently bearing it all. And why? So he could do his father's will. So he could save sinners like them and like us. In our place, he took the punishment for sin that we deserved. And now by placing our trust in that sacrifice, receiving him, resting on his promises, our bodies, once corrupted by evil speech and sin, can be clean and pure. We are forgiven, declared righteous, before God. And anyone, no matter how much damage your tongue has caused, anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Friends, this good news is the answer to your tongue problem. If you've never trusted in Jesus to save you, why not come to him today? He is the only one who can make you right with the creator again, not by what you do or what you speak, but by trusting and what he did for you and following him. And this good news is then what motivates us to slowly but surely restrain our tongues for his glory by his grace. And then finally, point three, watch your tongue because it reveals your heart. This is the point of the last section there starting in verse nine. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
You can imagine the sort of person that James has in mind here. They come into a worship service. Uh, they'll sing songs. They'll read the lyrics on the screen. They express their love and devotion to God. But then as they leave that same service, they bicker with another church member on their way out. Uh, they make a mean-hearted remark to the taxi driver who took a wrong turn on their way home. Uh, maybe a sinful outburst at their children who refuse to stop hitting each other. James concludes, this should not be. This is absurd. Uh, just think about this from God's perspective. Uh, one moment, you're praising me. You're telling me that you love me. And the next, you're cursing those I've made in my image. The pinnacle of my creation, those I've sought to redeem. Do you love me or not? It's this hypocrisy that James can't stand. Uh, he says in verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Uh, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. If you find a spring flowing with water, it's going to be either fresh water or salt water. It can't be some combination and it certainly doesn't go back and forth. It remains stable and consistent. The same thing with trees. A fig tree produces figs, not olives. If you have a fig tree and it starts producing olives, well, it's not a fig tree. It's an olive tree. Uh, this is what James is getting at. It's what something is at its nature. This is what James has really been saying this whole book. You can tell the sort of person someone is by the way they live, and specifically here by the way they speak. Consider Jesus' own words in Matthew 12. He says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words come from our hearts. Jesus says that they are always a reflection of what's inside. What we say reveals who we are most deeply. If we are saved, then we should be growing and producing fruit in accordance with our new nature, our new heart. That's just what James said in, back in chapter 1. Uh, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Why? Well, it's because words reveal our hearts. They are an outward expression of who we are. So you can come in here and praise God in song, but that doesn't tell someone enough to know whether you're in the faith. They also need to see how you use your words with those around you, how you treat those made in God's image. Sins like gossip or slander can harm others, but there's a worse danger. Sins like these can unmask the gossiper as one who professes faith, but their faith is empty. They aren't saved at all. If we claim to love and praise God, but then consistently tear down our neighbors with our words, it should cause us to question whether we are Christians at all. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, certainly James wants us to do some self-reflection. Uh, what if everything you said this past week was transcribed and then displayed 
for everyone to see, uh, what would they see? Would your words mostly confirm your claim to love God by the way you speak well of others and seek to build up with your words? Or would there be many instances of words that tear down and shame and slander? Would there be reason to question your love for God? Friends, if we are saved, we cannot curse our brothers and sisters. This should not be. It is sin. It must stop. Maybe in a culture like the one we find ourselves, uh, where we're less direct maybe, uh, not many of us will probably sin by verbally abusing someone to their face. But what about the passive-aggressive remark? What about the person who is really difficult to get along with uh, when they uh, leave the room? How do you speak of them to your friends and colleagues? The gospel is great news, and it's news that's meant to transform us. It's the only thing that can transform our hearts and transform our speech. Paul uh, talks about how God's great work of redemption can and should transform the way we talk. In Ephesians chapter 4, for instance, he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We certainly will not be perfect at this, but what if we took James' warnings really seriously? All of us, what if we took great care to watch our tongues? What if the gospel became so real to us that God's love compelled us to only use them for such as good and building up? That would give grace to those who hear. Can you imagine being part of a community like that. Pray, pray, ask God to increasingly make ambassador a place where slander is rare, that words that build up are normal and bring life to each one of us. And so why must we watch our tongues? Well, we've seen that words uh, direct our lives. They have the power to sanctify us and give life to others. We've seen that words not only have the power to give life, but to destroy as well. And we've seen that words reveal who we are most deeply, that we must not be inconsistent with the way we use them. If you're anything like me, a passage like this one that leaves you uh, feeling exposed and convicted uh, for the many ways, the various ways we've used our tongues in ways that destroy rather than build up. But then what should we do? I think the first thing is we need to repent. If there's anything, this verse shows us the great need we have of Jesus, of his sanctifying work in our lives. We need him. We cannot do this on our own. We need to repent of the ways we've used our tongues, the way we've, we've used social media or messaging to put down others, to gossip, to lash out in anger. Admit to God those places where you've fallen short. But then don't despair. It's when we are brought to see our, our need of Christ and led to repentance that God can make something out of us. There is great hope. If we are in Christ, 
While we may never fully tame our tongue, we can, by God's grace, through his word, take steps to use our words in a manner that's increasingly edifying and more like Jesus. There is hope. And then after we've repented, we get to work and we make a plan and we be vigilant, becoming more like Jesus in our speech day by day. I want to end with a quote by Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson as he comments on this passage in James. See what he says. He says, my native land is Scotland. I have the privileged status of being a resident alien in the United States. I carry a green card, but people often remind me, you have an accent. What if it was possible for God's word to dwell in us so richly that the people of God would adopt an accent of their own, one that sounded less like the harsh tongue of the world and more like Jesus day by day. He goes on. If you've been delivered from sin, saved by grace, on your lips is now a new song of praise to your God. As you hear God's word and fellowship with God's people, pray that others would hear you speak with a different accent. That is what leaves the lasting impression of the power of Christ, the transformation of grace in your life. By God's grace, we can all learn to speak with a Jesus-like accent. Church, may that be true of all of us, even this week. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the good gift of words. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your words. You've sustained us by your word. And Lord, we're sorry for the many ways we've misused this gift. We're grieved uh, by the way we've used it. We've grieved you by the ways we've hurt others. But Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness we find in Christ. And we pray now that you would help us by your spirit continue uh, to make our own tongues uh, uh, edifying to others tongues that build up, and we continue to make ambassador a place where sinful speech is rare, and words that build up are normal and bring life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.